When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Purple Insider is presented by Oakley. Express yourself, build a look that's made for you. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. notice I'm talking quietly that is because it is a little bit early in the morning where I am in a hotel but that is not keeping me from bringing on ESPN's Mike Clay for our yearly get together to talk about all of his projections in which he projects the statistics of every single player in the NFL and I think every year Mike I ask you how in the heck you do this it is incredible I always just google Mike Clay projections if I want to look at any team in the entire NFL and uh, not only that, but you know, positional rankings and everything else, win loss projections. It's an incredible project, man. Yeah. Thanks. It's uh, as you can imagine, it's a tedious process. It takes an insane amount of man hours, uh, especially at the beginning, you know, once basically once the, well, I should really put it this way. It's a living document, right? So uh, as soon as the regular season ends, I start kind of adjusting the teams that were eliminated and putting, you know, IR players back or moving free agents, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, do a lot of research in the offseason to update for league trends, coaching changes, free agency, the draft, all that. So it's just always living. Uh, and that's why it's basically available, you know, 11 months a year, because we kind of always know who uh, the roster core is and, and you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a grind, but I enjoy it and it allows me to really have a good feel for the entire league, you know, where you know, it's easy for fans to say, well, oh, man, we just signed player X. So we're we're in great shape at that position. But, you know, you're only as good as you are compared to the other 31 teams and doing a project like this and just constantly keeping an eye on it and updating it uh, allows me to kind of have a good feel for the league. Yeah. And I, it's really excellent for anyone who does fantasy, but I also think just really excellent in general, or if you're like making out your Madden rosters when you first get mad or wait, people might not have to do that anymore because you can download them because maybe I'm old. Uh, but this would have been great in like 2004, Mike, I, I really could have used this. Um, maybe, maybe you were still doing it then, but uh, you know, one of the reasons that I love to do this like annual show, and I was looking back at like my old shows with you, I was like, yeah, right around this time, every year in June, because we really don't know how some of these battles are going to play out. And we can have some really fun discussions trying to project. And in years past, when you and I are talking with the running back position, we would just be like, oh, well, Delvin Cook, so he's going to get the football all the time. And there's really no more to talk about there. But this year, you have... 
three guys that are backing up Alexander Madison, and we're not really sure even what kind of workload Alexander Madison is going to get. So you project him at 214 carries for 881 yards and eight touchdowns, 35 catches. I mean, I think this is a great projection for him because I don't think it's going to be like 300 carries for 1,500 yards or something like that. I think they are going to rotate in the other guys. But I guess I'm curious how you kind of came to that conclusion with somebody who's stepping into a role that they have never had before. Yeah, so some of it is, uh, you know, just looking at players in similar positions across the league uh, in recent memory, right? Some of that's going to be instinct. Some of it's going to be comparable players. Uh, and and certainly there's a ceiling on, you know, usage within a game. You know, we're not expecting him to be Derrick Henry, uh, for example, right? So, um, you know, some of this number factors in missed games for injuries, which is something I do as, as a blanket across the NFL, just because, you know, it's very rare for, uh, players to hold up. In fact, over the last two years, the only lead backs to make it all 34 regular season games were Najee Harris, and uh, and he was beat up along the way, and Devin Singletary. They're the only two. <laughs> so it just shows you how hard it is to uh, to make it through the full season. So that's kind of factored in here. Uh, but in terms of like a week-to-week projection, you know, just kind of looking at what – forget about injuries for a second. I have them with you know, 63% of their designed – called running plays going in that's a pretty decent number right it's a respectable lead back number so um yeah i i, I just the way you look at this tip chart right now there's no clear and obvious number two or clear and obvious threat to alexander madison um and that's what we've seen the last couple of years even when he's been the backup right when cook has missed time which he didn't last year but before, before that he had missed quite a few games madison didn't really share he was the clear feature back and and put up in fact uh, two years ago, there were four weeks Cook was out, and Madison was actually, speaking of fantasy, the number one fantasy running back. He had a massive workload and was was very productive. So, um, yeah, I right now I, I have a pretty large gap between he and the rest of the field. Um, but, you know, that's – it's not – again, I, I don't know that he's being valued essentially as a, a workhorse, but more of a, a guy that's going to handle a, a pretty large share of the workload, um, and, and that's going to be good enough for a decent stat line. Yeah, and you, and you really have to factor also the fact that they just flipped a switch last year and suddenly became a pass-first offense. And I think that that really plays in Alexander Madison's favor for getting a lot of work here. Not that he is the next Roger Craig or something, but I think it, when it comes down to knowing the detail, how uh, already Madden 2004 and Roger Craig are on the show. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to, like, the details of the position, and Kevin O'Connell already used the words three down back for Alexander Madison, and I think it's, you know, the pass blocking kind of if they need him to run routes and make sure that he's in the right positions and on the same page with Kirk Cousins, like those things are very hard to replicate for younger running backs. I think that we think that you can draft anyone, draft Dwayne McBride. He'll just come in and just like break a bunch of tackles like he did in college. But for the coaches, they're not going to have guys who can't be part of that passing game. I think in both ways, both in blocking um, and in receiving. And I, I think that that really gives him an advantage but I'm very intrigued. I think it's Wong Wu versus Chandler, and then Dwayne McBride is kind of a very distant, and that's the way you project them too, kind of even between Wong Wu and Chandler, again, with two guys that did not carry the ball almost at all last season. How do we kind of weigh these two versus each other? Yeah, so my answer there is I'm hedging because I don't know, right? It's a it's a pretty clearly a camp battle. Uh, the two were barely on the field offensively last season, as you know, and again, a big part of that was Dalvin Cook 
played in 17 games, 17 regular season games. So um, it's, it's tricky for sure. Um, but yeah, when a guy plays, you know, what Nwangu played 18 snaps last year, Chandler played 13, um, you know, they had what, 10 touches and six touches. It's just not, it's not much to work off. So I'm looking a little bit at um, how they were used in the past, but also a little bit of draft pedigree in there. For example, I have both of those guys clearly ahead of Dwayne McBride, who's a seventh round rookie. Those guys generally don't make much of an impact, right? It's a long shot. It's easy to say, okay, well, number two jobs wide open. McBride has an opportunity. That's true. But history tells us, you know, seventh round rookie running backs, probably not going to make much of an impact. Like Isaiah Pacheco, you could point to, but um, look at seventh round running backs otherwise. Uh, and and it's not great. So um, again, it's, it's going to be a battle. And also another reason I hedged here is because they might not be done, right? Like they could, they could sign somebody. There's other guys out there. There's Leonard Fournette who, you know, maybe he ends up coming cheaper. There's, you know, Kareem Hunt. There's uh, who else is out there? I, mean, I guess Zeke. I don't know that that's the landing spot for him, but there's a couple other guys out there that could still land here and at some point this off season. So um, for now I'm hedging. And like you said, we're going to keep an eye on these camp battles uh, and maybe someone like you will, you know, be able to report, Hey, it looks like uh, Chandler's winning that number two job. And then I can adjust. That's always what I'm doing. I'm always following reports and, and uh, tweaking these based on what makes sense. Yeah. And I appreciate your uh, diligence on that. And uh, it's impressive how much you're able to keep track again of 32. I um, I'm trying to keep track of every detail of one team. Um, but you know, when it, when it comes to Wang Mu and Chandler, the funny thing is that, you know, three or four days, ago in minicamp, I'm thinking, all right, probably Ty Chandler because of how well he performed in preseason last year. And then Kenny Wongwu gets the majority of the reps, um, you know, with the ones mixing in with Alexander Madison. And then, you know, Ty Chandler's getting the second rep. So then we're going like, wait a minute. But then, you know, you have also uh, taught me not to overreact too much because one year I was messaging you being like, I don't know. I don't know about this Jefferson kid. They're just not using him. And, and they didn't for two weeks. And then, you know, BC Johnson got the bench after that, but you never really changed your projection. Um, so I think that'll be a very interesting battle. Of course, you know, we have to talk about CJ Ham and your CJ Ham projection. This is very important. Yeah, four, well, carries, four carries for 17 yards to me says he should be getting a, a bigger workload if he's averaging that yards per carry. I don't care about sample size. Um, and then nine catches for 70 yards. Do you type in CJ Ham's name into this thing and go, He's still there, huh? Every single year he comes back. How does one project a small sample size fullback? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, I, I love it because there just aren't many fullbacks that matter, right? In terms of projecting, all right, he's actually going to get a couple carries and a handful of targets. There's just not many like that. In fact, if we did a fullback fantasy draft, he'd be he'd be a lock first round pick. You know, you have Kyle Juszczyk up there. There's not many other uh, great options, maybe like an Alec Ingold, someone like that, but him would be right up there. So I love it. Um, I have him projected, like you said, four carries. Uh, he's never had more than seven, but he did have four last year. Uh, and then the 12 targets is actually exactly what he had last season. He's averaging 15 per season in his career, but over 18 once. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if people would, would understand, you know, believe that he has 90 targets in his career, 70 catches, 610 yards, two receiving touchdowns. Like he, uh, he's a factor in this in this backfield and it is sustained even with the coaching change. So um, yeah, I, lo I love the guy. And uh, if you need 22 fantasy points, according to my projections, this is where you go. You go to CJ Ham and you get them 22 points.
You know what? A fullback fantasy league. Now, you couldn't have many friends participate because there's only five or six of them in the league. But if you had a couple of buddies, fullback fantasy league sounds like something that Purple Insider should absolutely start. I mean, we've seen CJ Ham do some amazing things, break off big runs or screen passes. They, uh, But I, I wouldn't suggest what they did with him once last year, Mike, which was run him on an end around. That didn't work. He went nowhere. But uh, that was maybe Kevin O'Connell overthinking it a little bit. Um, as far as the receivers go, we've got a, a whole debate going on in the sidelines already about whether Jordan Addison or K.J. Osborne will have more catches. And you've got them very close in targets, very close in catches. When it comes to rookie wide receivers, sometimes they're Justin Jefferson. Sometimes they get banged up because rookie receivers go through a lot. Sometimes they don't show up at all, like Laquan Treadwell, who had one catch his rookie season. Um, how are you approaching Jordan Addison? Because it seems like the fantasy world is very excited about him. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting, uh, the dynamic with these first-round receivers picked back-to-back-to-back-to-back. This year, of course, uh, Smith and Jigba to Seattle, Addison, Quentin Johnston, and, and uh, Zay Flowers. Um, but it's weird because last year there was a bunch of wide receivers picked in the top 20, and they were kind of undervalued across the the fantasy industry, and people were just kind of, you know, just drafting veterans, and they were kind of overlooked, and they proved to be uh, terrific values, right? You think about Chris Olave, and, uh, you know, um, the list goes on and on. There's a, a whole bunch that were – impactful last year has specifically Garrett Wilson, who was, who was terrific as well. Um, but this year they were all picked from like the 20 to 23 range. And that, you know, I, I did some research on that because they're really hyped up, right? Like to your point, these guys are all really hyped up, uh, especially in early fantasy drafts, Addison being one of those guys. So I did some research on that, trying to understand that dynamic. And um, I thought the evidence was pretty concerning for guys in this area. Um, actually give you the number here since 2011 17 receivers picked in the 15 to 25 range only three of the 17 got to 800 yards as a rookie jerry judy cd lamb justin justin and there's your boy justin jefferson right so that shows you kind of what what level of exception jefferson was um injuries were a big problem too those guys had a lot uh, a hard time staying on the field so um, I, you know, that's kind of why I'm hedging a little bit here and not just anointing Addison for a big season, even though he is a first round rookie, obviously there's a lot of upside. If he is the real deal, he'll put up some numbers, even opposite Justin Jefferson. We've seen proof of that with Adam Thielen, uh, over the last uh, few years. So, um, I'm still, you know, I'm still, uh, being pretty generous. I think 57 catches, 766 yards, five touchdowns, a little bit ahead of KJ Osborne, even if he starts slow, like Jefferson did, I think within a few weeks, he'll kind of take control of that number two job and start to emerge. But again, I'm not getting too out of control here. I don't have him down for like a top 30 or top 35 season, but um, I think that this is kind of a fair, kind of fair middle ground for Addison. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, 57 receptions for 766 is, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think it's very fair. You know, when I was looking at those same kind of numbers of former first round picks, one of the guys that I was thinking about was like Jahan Dotson for an undersized kind of guy who was banged up a little. And I could see that happening. And I know you adjust somewhat for missing games, um, but didn't have this huge fantasy season. But I also think Washington is happy with him. And I could see that happening here where 
you know, the, the Vikings are happy with what they got out of Jordan Addison, but it's sort of uneven. And, and KJ Osborne talked about this, and I think it's an interesting factor. I'd love to hear you talk about it is these other receivers, when they're around a Justin Jefferson, he is going to vacuum all of the targets away. Uh, and even if they pass the ball a lot, it's like some weeks you can have, you know, KJ Osborne gets five or six catches and has a big day. And other days he just gets a zero because Justin Jefferson makes, you know, 10 catches for 190 yards or something. I think that that does make it difficult to kind of project everyone around him. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I mean, he, I do have him projected with a massive target share, right? So that's going to limit uh, what other guys get. And I also have TJ Hawkinson with one of the biggest target shares at tight end. So that's soaking up uh, right there 270 or so targets from this from an offense that, you know, I have cousins with just a hair under 600 pass attempts. So, um, yeah, those those two guys, um, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to Hawkinson, but I think they're going to vacuum up a lot, especially uh, Jefferson. Um, and then it just leaves that battle. But here's the thing. You know, first of all, I'll say this. Osborne, obviously a late round pick. And again, history shows that the, the guys who pan out, even if you go to like a, you know, like a Julian Edelman, someone like that, uh, the guys that eventually do pan out into good players, it takes a while, right? It's And part of that's pedigree. It's investment, right? They're, these guys get drafted late or they go undrafted and then they're buried on the depth chart. And if they're impressive in camp and in preseason, they're like, okay, well, that's enough to make the team. That's not enough to be like a starter, but you'll make the team. Um, if, if he played that well as a second round pick, he might be a starter, right? So it just takes a couple of years for him to get going. So maybe there is something here, right? Osborne looked really good down the stretch last season. It's taken a while. He's kind of missed some time Then he had to win the three job and he's kind of worked his way up. So maybe I'm too low here, but the other part of this is if they feel like this is a two, right? We got ourselves a good number two. This is a starter. Maybe you don't spend a first round pick on Jordan Addison on a wide receiver. Maybe you use that and, and take a defensive player, right? Or, you know, uh, fill another void. So um, I think they kind of told us a little bit about how they view Osborne and how they view him as, as a number three uh, wide receiver. So um, that's kind of why I'm giving a little bit of a nod to Addison here and kind of knocking Osborne down a little bit uh, in the projections. Folks, our new sponsor, Oakley, maybe you've noticed it has taken our show to the next level. Oakley, express yourself and build a look that is made for you. And guess what? That's exactly what I did. Just got a new pair of matte black prism sapphire polar sunglasses from Oakley. And I got to say, they are a game changer. I'll be wearing them golfing, playing basketball, training camp. It is clear now that I have not been doing anywhere enough for my sunglasses game until now. Now, Oakley is changing the game, and it's time for you to discover a whole new world of possibilities. They are suited for everyday wear with frames and lenses, allowing for an extension of yourself, an expression of personality more than meets the eye. So make a sunglasses upgrade today at oakley.com. Personally, I am loving my new pair of Oakleys. They even offer prism lens technology. What the heck is that? It is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. If you want to know more, and I know you do, head over to oakley.com and do your own research there. And while you're at it, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses as well that will change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. I have worn a lot of sunglasses in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Go to oakley.com for more information today. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, and your projection for Osborne is still a good KJ Osborne season. It kind of sure, splits sure. a little bit between his last two years. The one thing that I think might be another factor there with the number two, number three discussion is that Osborne is a free agent after this year mm-hmm. and they might not want to pay him. If you look back at what free agent wide receivers made, including Adam Thielen in Carolina, by the way, it's like if you're even a decent player, you're going to get huge money that I doubt the Vikings want to pay KJ Osborne. So he could still end up being their number two this year and then they just let him go because the price is too high. Now, the depth wide receiver battle is really one we're going to be all about in training camp. I mean, this is daily catch counts and stuff uh, going on. Uh, Brandon Powell, Jalen Rager, Jalen Naylor, and factoring all of those guys. Brandon Powell averaged like five yards a catch or something last year, which was kind of weird. Jalen Rager, I'm not entirely sure, makes the team. Naylor showed some stuff in minicamp, but again, I don't want to get too fooled. I I do think everything behind those three guys, though, is kind of like, it's double digit catches that's a probably a good season for anyone not on the top three here I, I don't think that there's another guy who we're going to be like whoa this guy kind of emerged and we're all shocked I think there's some talk about that being Jalen Naylor but I'm a little skeptical on whether that actually happens yeah and I think one of those spots certainly could come down to a returner right Brandon Powell ton of experience there Rager last year the punt returner so uh, that's probably one of those remaining spots behind the big three and then uh, maybe like a it could be a Naylor right like a a depth receiver. Um, I think Powell's done enough as a receiver to be a, a depth guy that could be a returner slash receiver. Uh, Rager, certainly the scholarship's over. No idea if he even makes the team. And then we'll probably have a surprise in there. So, yeah, they'll probably keep six, I would guess. And uh, maybe they even claim someone off off waivers in, in early September. So uh, I'm with you. I think that's, you know, far from far from sorted out. And special teams will be a big factor there. I love that I can force you to give takes on the guy who's sixth on your depth chart and (laughs) who catches in 22 yards. And you've still got, you've still got a very reasonable take, but I think uh, that either Powell or Rager makes the team as the punt returner and the other guy gets cut and then someone else shows up. They have a guy named Thayer Thomas that I'm calling secondary Slayer Thomas. So I think there's a pretty Mm. good chance for him. Um, When it, when it comes to the tight end position, I think that with Hawkinson, we all know that 
this guy is just going to be a magnet for Kirk Cousins. Um, 75 catches might end up being a little low where you have it projected. Josh Oliver, though, is the source of intrigue here because they paid him actual money. And normally a team that plays three wide receivers and has a star tight end does not pay another tight end actual money. And I I think that he is being brought in to be a run blocker, but I'm kind of interested if there is more of this CJ Ham and Josh Oliver. And if those guys end up being involved more than we think, because Kevin O'Connell wants to mix it up a little bit more. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that's played three years. Remember, Jacksonville gave up on him pretty quickly. He got shipped to Baltimore. I was out 2020. Uh, and then in Baltimore was pretty much a non-factor as well, at least in the passing game. Um, so, you know, I, I actually have him projected with a career high in catches, receiving yards, and that's with 16 for 174, right? So uh, not going nuts. I, I think he'll be the blocking complement to Hawkinson, and maybe that unlocks a, a few things for Hawkinson to do. Uh, in the passing game because he was a he was a big big factor last season uh, as as obviously Vikings fans know but um, he had more double digit target games I believe the stat is he had more double digit target games with uh, Minnesota last year than he had his whole career in Detroit or if not it was very similar so uh, that shows you just the difference in how uh, he was unlocked but you're right it is interesting that you take a first round receiver you have Osborne there um, you're an offense that last year was uh, sixth in three plus wide receiver sets. Um, but you know, maybe they want to even that out. Maybe they want to use more, more 12 personnel. It's, it's possible. Um, and, and certainly that would make sense when they're running the football. So we'll see how that shakes out, but you know, from a box score standpoint, I don't think it matters much. You know, I think Oliver will have, uh, one target here or there, maybe the occasional two target game, but I don't think it's really gonna, you know, threaten Hawkinson or anyone else. Oh, and yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, it just sort of raises an eyebrow when a guy gets a $21 million contract, even if that's yeah. a bogus number, but still, what? Uh, with TJ Hawkinson, I, I, I want to know how rare it is of what he does in the receiving game, because it, I feel like as his contract is coming up here, that it is not easy to find someone who, even when you make a fairly conservative projection on him, still ranks as the third best tight end fantasy-wise. Uh, I, I mean, how few of these guys are there that can do what he does, including lining up all over the field? I mean, he was playing like 50% of his snaps not in line at tight end last year. And it, it seems to me like that's a guy that you would want to pay because of his uniqueness. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I raised my eyebrow when Detroit traded him away, and I know that they had major defensive issues and, you know, had wanted to spend that money elsewhere. Uh, I, I suppose I get that, but it also felt like the kind of player you want to build around, right? That could be a core offensive player, but as we saw, he was underutilized, right? He just wasn't, uh, as I just pointed out, the, the usage was not comparable in Detroit to what it, is, what it has been in Minnesota so far. So uh, I don't know. I, I think that He's a good fit with Kirk Cousins, and if the plan is to keep Cousins around a few more years, that's a, a really good connection between those two players, and it makes sense to uh, extend Hawkinson, especially considering that they traded uh, pretty decent assets for him, right? So um, that's my expectation. And yeah, by the way, uh, you're right. His He's projected this high for a reason, and that's because his usage was massive last year, not just for a tight end. But for a player, it, he had 86 targets when he joined the Vikings for the rest of the season, almost 10 per game. Those 86 targets were fifth in the NFL, fifth in the whole league, not just tight ends, the whole league. Think about all the superstar receivers out there. Uh, he was absolutely featured, just a massive, massive usage. So 
Um, I expect him to, even if that drops, like nine and a half targets per game, even if that drops by two per game, that's still massive usage for a tight end. Yeah, and then in the playoff game, he had 10 targets as well. And, uh, you know, I think that teams, and I guess we should actually circle back because I was going to go to the defense, but that's such a horror show that we can wait. Um, But when it comes to Justin Jefferson in the second half of the season, teams went absolutely nuts trying to stop Justin Jefferson. I mean, shell coverages all the time, doubling him, pressing him, doing anything that they could possibly do. And I would have suggested that for defenses in the first half of the season, but uh, it was not the same in the second half as it was the first half. And there were some games where he was taken out. Now, I don't think that he's going to be taken out, um, not unless they do the old Megatron two guys uh, pressing him at the line of scrimmage, which may happen at some point. But I think it also is fair that when you have a historically great season that lands you in the MVP conversation, I I think that's right. I looked back at Megatron, Julio Jones, everybody, even guys that continue to lead the league in receiving year after year did not have their peak season all the time. So I think that there will be a very concerted effort from day one uh, that that is going to be the only goal of opposing defenses, especially when they're not scared of the running game, to try to stop Justin Jefferson, which probably won't stop him entirely, but may regress his numbers a little. Yeah, and I actually have him. I actually have him with more touchdowns than last year. He was a little unlucky in that department, so it's kind of funny how that works out. Uh, fewer targets, catches, and yards, but more touchdowns. Uh, but I'm glad you presented it the way you just did because this is an argument I have to have all the time when people are like, "Why is the projection lower? This guy, which just had an elite season, which is exactly that. You look look at, at the greatest player at any position in NFL history and look at their season by season production. It's not the peak season." every year, right? They, they spike and then they come back to earth a little and maybe they spike again and come back down. Um, and I think the most, you know, the busiest I've been making that argument was after Patrick Mahomes 50 touchdown season, right? His breakout year is MVP year. The first one anyway, um, which was like, yes, the projection is lower pretty significantly. He's going to come back to earth a little bit. He's not going to put up this peak sort of production every year. Things go wrong. Players get hurt. He maybe misses a game or two, which he actually did that year. Uh, that's sort of stuff happens. So, um, you know, it's just it's just the nature of the beast in the NFL. And it doesn't mean he's not still the best quarterback or that Jefferson's not the best receiver in the NFL. Uh, it's just the way these things kind of work out in the NFL. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. But again, still have him not only the number one receiver uh, from a fantasy perspective and a box score uh, stuffing perspective, but uh, the number one overall fantasy player. I think Justin Jefferson is he's very well positioned for another huge year. Yeah, how funny is that? He's the number one player and his numbers are lower than they were last right. year. That speaks to how good he is. And I also think I also think the team would prefer that he is less the entire offense as he was last year. Um, of course, I won't go through every single defensive player, but I mean, Asazia Tomowo sack right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, if the Vikings end up moving on from Daniil Hunter, you're projecting them at under 30 sacks. Well, I mean, somebody might fill in those snaps and get a couple of sacks, but like 30 sacks. I think that is exactly where I would put them. And I think when you lay it out on paper like this, it really shows you if Daniil Hunter isn't here, this team is not rushing the passer. Even even if they're blitz happy and blitz crazy, which I, I think I might factor a little more than you did with the linebackers and the in the corners and safeties. Like I might give Harrison Smith maybe two or something like that. That's nitpicking. I, I do think Josh Metellus is going to play more than you're projecting him. And maybe, um, you know, we're going to see some corner blitzes and stuff like that. But 
it, I think it really shows where this defense is at, that when you look at Hunter's projection, he's just carrying pretty much the entire pass rush. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. In fact, uh, I made some waves when I posted uh, edge rusher rankings a, f- a month or so ago uh, and had Minnesota number one, but that's when they had Hunter as an area Smith and then Davenport as the three, right? That looks, that's a really good one, two, three punch, uh, you know, having, I know there's mixed feelings on Davenport, but him as your three is a, is a pretty darn good situation to be in, not to mention the two stars at the top. So um, if Hunter's gone, then suddenly it's looking, it's going from one of the best in the NFL to one of the worst in the NFL. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see how that works out. We've been through this before with, with Daniil Hunter. Hopefully they work it out. Uh, you know, you got to take care of that guy. He's one of the best in the business, but you're right. Uh, it's this defense is, is going the wrong direction. I mean, it is kind of unbelievable. I know we didn't get to corner yet, but you think about all of the Zimmer era investment in the cornerback position and for them to be in the situation they're in, in the secondary right now, uh, it's concerning. Yeah, it's it's definitely going the wrong direction. But I guess we love it from a fantasy perspective because the worse, worse the defense is, the more they're going to be chucking the ball around on offense trying to score. Uh, kind of, you know, we saw that a little bit last year. Uh, that could be fun, but um, not, not too pumped about the way the D is going. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, when everyone talks about how they were a top 10 offense, it's like, um, okay, let's make sure we remember that they were playing in these shootouts all the time. And um, you know, their scoring percentage on offense wasn't really that shiny and yet their totals were pretty good, which kind of tells you something that maybe, maybe it was a little bit inflated, but you know, at the cornerback position, it's really interesting because I would have had it exactly this way. And then we watch minicamp and Makai Blackman is up, uh, playing above Andrew Booth Jr., which is really interesting because Booth Jr. is a high pick for them, but has never been able to stay healthy, even going back to college. And then the hard thing for us to factor here, and of course, again, mini camp disclaimer, so that could change as soon as they put pads on. But the hard thing to factor here for where these guys are going to fit in, and this sort of speaks to Lewis Seen and Josh Metellus, is Brian Flores. Like he's used three safeties before, and that might happen. And Lewis Seen was playing as the fourth safety in mini camp, but he might accelerate past someone like Cam Bynum once he starts to get the defense a little more and he's coming off of this injury. But I I do think that as bad as this projects, which is actually quite bad outside of Byron Murphy, there's so many young players here that there's also a world where we go, oh man, I never saw this a Caleb Evans thing happening, or I never saw this, you know, Josh Metellus becoming a key part of this. Uh, There's just a lot of players who are fairly recent draft picks who we don't have sample sizes on. You're exactly right. And oftentimes I'll I'll hedge a bit on that. Um, It is tough with someone like Blackman, who's a third round rookie. I mean, we see 
you know, first round corner struggle a lot. It's, it's really tough. I mean, you, you could point to sauce Gardner, that's fine, but I can give you a list of 20 uh, first round corners who really struggled in their first year. And it took some time to, uh, to develop, you know, just off the top of my head, Jeff Okuda being an example of a guy who was, I believe he was in the top five that year for Detroit and never really came around and, and ended up getting traded to Atlanta this off season. So uh, a lot of examples of that, uh, but you're right. It behind Murphy, who I like, by the way, I thought that was a nice little kind of under the radar signing, by Minnesota, you know, Evans, Booth, Blackman, those sort of guys are just going to have to battle it out and, and we'll see who comes out uh, on top and wins that the two job uh, as well as, you know, we'll see how they, we'll see what they do in the nickel there. I don't know who's going to land the slot job. Murphy has experience there as well. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, and then same thing, you know, it's safety, you know, uh, when you, whenever you have a, a first round pick like that, I'm generally going to defer to them. You know, I know that, that Lewis missed most of, last season all but a couple of snaps but um you know he's still a first round pick for a reason and i would suspect they're going to give him a, an opportunity to win uh, a major job so for now i do have bynum as as pretty clearly the starter opposite smith but um i think that that will be a battle of the monitor oh yeah for sure yeah keep an eye on my tweets um but uh, by oh, the way yeah. when you uh and uh, throw a, throw a like my way every once in a while. So it ends up in, in Elon Musk's <laughs> for you category. I mean, we need to help each other here. Uh, but uh, it was funny just that just popped into my head about when you tweeted about the edge rushing rankings. And I think I quote tweeted you. It's like not for long. I mean, because that's right. what ended up playing out. And I think that there is a cumulative effect on defense where if you can't rush the passer with using four guys, then it can be a real struggle if you don't have great secondary players or inexperienced secondary players. And it's, uh, I was kind of joking that, you know, the defense, Brian Flores' defense is very complicated for the Vikings offense to practice against, but it also might be very complicated for the defensive players if they can't get it right away. Um, the last thing though, I, I wanted to ask Mike, unless you want to project Luigi Villain's snap count, um, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> 54. I, Probably. Sure. Yeah. He'll mix in if they trade Hunter, but um, mm -hmm. eight and a half wins is the projection. And what stuck out to me though, is, you know, I, I've been looking at this schedule as it could be pretty hellacious for them. A lot of really good quarterbacks that they're going to face, but your, your strength of schedule ranking is 15th, which I think maybe um, is, is not where I would have thought. I would have thought maybe it would have cracked the top 10 based on their playing the four teams that were on championship weekend. Uh, can you kind of explain, I guess, your, the win total and the, the strength of schedule and kind of how you see those things? Yeah, I think uh, part of it's the division and part of it is that the schedule is kind of boom bust, right? There are some, uh, you're right, they play the, a couple top end teams, but also a lot of teams you're not afraid of, right? Like they for example, opening up against Tampa Bay, that's a team that you would have been a lot more afraid of last season. Um, actually, I have them. That's their highest winning winning prob, win probability projection of the entire season is in week one against the Bucks. But, you know, the Chargers are an unknown. They're, they're a, such an underachieving team based on the talent they have. Not to worry about Carolina. Two against Chicago, Detroit, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Scream Bay. I'm probably not as high as most on, I know I'm not as high as most on San Francisco. Uh, you know, you think about um, that quarterback situation on pretty much any other team were in panic mode and like, this is trouble. Like there's a lot of concern here. I mean, yeah, Brock Purdy looked good for a little there, but uh, that's a very small sample. He's a seventh round pick, limited arm strength. You know, we'd be picking that apart, but just because it's Kyle Shanahan, we're like, ah, it's fine. You know, they'll be, they'll be great. They'll get good quarterback play, which is probably true. But um, I think that's more of a concern that's being discussed. But, you know, Atlanta, New Orleans, even Denver, perhaps the Raiders, 
there's a lot of winnable games on this schedule, and I certainly think they can get to 10 wins. In fact, I, I, I this is a controversial take. This might be my one of my most controversial takes of the offseason. I think on paper, the Vikings may be a little better than Detroit, and De- everyone de- is just anointing Detroit as the, the Northern Division champs already, all right? We might as well not even play the games. They're going to win it. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I still think Minnesota is right there, if not the better roster. Yeah, the Detroit thing is interesting because what we keep saying is like they're still Detroit, right? So I mean that matters. How they how their secondary was rebuilt, I think, is probably the biggest factor there. They went out to free agency, tried to stack it up, but if that doesn't work, then they kind of might be a little bit same old Lions. Although if they have Aiden Hutchinson and the Vikings don't have Daniel Hunter, which is uh, very fifty fifty at this point, um, there might be a, a slight edge there. Usually, though, what we can count on with the Vikings and Detroit when they play each other is just sheer insanity is the only thing we can ever predict. But I think that you're being reasonable in not uh, over exaggerating kind of the Detroit thing, because there were some regressible things that were part of their success for last year. Um, and part of that top five offense that, you know, could drop back a little bit yards after catch doesn't always repeat itself, you know, things like that. Um, I am disappointed that you didn't project punter net yards. Uh, the Vikings have a heck of a punter, so that was disappointing. Um, but everything else here is uh, is uh, remarkable work. And people, I just just Google it. Mike Clay projections, it'll pop right up. Every single team for your fantasy draft, and it's just. I mean, I cover this team every day, and I pull up your projections. I'm like, these are these are really strong, and you have to do that for every team. So I'm always impressed. Always love getting together with you, Mike. And uh, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I will, I will but you can't let me go. I have, to, I have to ask you one thing. I have to ask you a question. Is that all right? Oh, okay. Do you have I, time? Do you have a couple I minutes? Asked if any questions? Yeah. So I want to I want to backtrack to again one of my mar. It seems like my most controversial takes around the Vikings this year. I don't know what it is, but for some reason. Um, I like their O-line and no one, even Vikings fans are like, what are you doing, man? Like, we don't have a good O-line. And, uh, you know, admittedly, my ratings of O-lines, which, by the way, I have them just inside the top 10 relative to the rest of the league, um, is, you know, I lean on the tackles mostly, right? I think the, the tackles are more important than the interior. So that's part of this. But, you know, I think you have, uh, you know, first of all, like Ezra Cleveland probably coming off a bit of an, a little bit of an underrated season. Garrett Bradbury, solid. We won't say spectacular at center. Uh, and again, I'm using kind of objective measurements here. I'm looking at PFF grades, pass block win rate, run block win rate, those kind of things. Um, but the tackles have been really good. You know, Darisaw broke out last year. Brian O'Neill on the right side has developed into uh, one of the, the better right tackles, one of the best right tackles by all objective measures. So I think you add that together and you say, all right, even with, some concerns at right guard, maybe some suspects. So you could ask, you can ask some questions about the interior. Overall, relative to the other 31 lines, I feel like this is an above average line and I get a lot of heat for that. So I'm wondering kind of what your perspective is on that O-line. Okay, first of all, you have to understand these people have been hurt yeah. by their <laughs> offensive line. They, I thought uh, you they might have say that. Bars. <laughs> so I, I went through this and this is the first year since uh, 2012 to 2013 where an entire Vikings five offensive linemen have returned and almost every single year it's the guards being swapped out. And so the fact that they do have the same interior can be helpful. The thing about the offensive line is this tackle combination could not be more incredible with their saw and, and O'Neal. I mean, these are two proven to me like superstar players in the league. They're not 
considered superstars because they're linemen. But, you know, if you watch them every game, you see that. But the interior is just so questionable. I mean, Ed Ingram allowed more sacks than anyone in the league last year at guard. Garrett Bradbury had an improved season, but we've also seen him really struggle against good defensive tackles, which they're going to face a lot this year. And Ezra Cleveland still doesn't really understand how to pick up blitzes. So, I mean, there is like that element of if you make a mistake on the interior as an offensive lineman with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, he will get sacked and he will get pressured a lot. And those pressure and sack numbers for guards and interior linemen for the Vikings, I think have always been inflated because the quarterback is, you know, kind of a, a very much a pocket quarterback and he's not going to escape or scramble uh, or, or even really, you know, do a, a whole lot to shuffle away. He's kind of like, he finds his spot and I think that's hard for them. And I, but I do think it all kind of rests on Ed Ingram at right guard because last year teams just hunted him. Like, like how NBA teams try to find the weakest of the five and put LeBron mm-hmm. on them or something, try to get switches and all that. That's mm-hmm. what they did. They kind of stopped doing anything with Derisaw and O'Neal outside of sending their edge rushers at them. And they were doing all sorts of stunts, twists and blitzes at Ingram because he was struggling so much. So it really depends if he takes a big step forward and he is a second round pick, then they could have a really good offensive line. I think they could be a top 10 offensive line for the first time. And I don't even know when, Um, but if that doesn't happen, then you're probably talking about the same sort of story where they're great at one spot and bad at the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I thought that was interesting, but again, I, I do, lean towards the tackles over the interior when I'm looking at these lines objectively, just because they're inherently more positions. There's a reason they get paid the big bucks. So maybe that's why I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it for pretty optimistic. And you do have some pedigree inside, right? There's reasons to think a guy like Ingram in year two would make a leap, right? He was a second round pick last year. It's it's that's reasonable. You expect these guys to make a leap. So uh, I'm with you. We'll have to see how, uh, how it plays out, but I'm on the optimistic side. So uh, I'm with you Vikings fans, hopefully. Well, maybe I'm not with you, Mike Vikings fans. Cause uh, again, uh, I think most of the, most of the feedback has been like, no, you're way too high. And that's rare, by the way. That's when I, that's when I worry that I'm wrong. Right. I, I it's always like, oh, you're way too low on this or you're way too low on this. Or you don't know what you're talking about. How could you have this? So low that's 97% of it, you know? So if I get one and it's like, whoa, you're, you're too high on, on this. I'm a Vikings fan. You're too high on this unit. That's what gets me to raise my eyebrow and look a little closer at it. Right. Maybe if the, maybe if they're too happy with you, then you uh, you've got something wrong. But yeah. uh, that happens with us <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, great great stuff again, Mike. Really appreciate all the time. And uh, as always, if you have any questions about what's going on in camp or whatever else, um, shoot me a message and uh, and we'll talk. But yeah, I don't I don't. It's amazing how little of my help you seem to need. Uh, in doing these. So you're always doing a great job and I will continue to follow along closely. Thanks again for doing this. All right. Anytime you got it.